What a time. And a time that uh, we get to come together and uh, worship through giving. Our, our ushers are going to come at this time and take up our offering and giving. And this is just a part of our expression uh, in worship to God, as well as prayer, as well as singing and clapping. And, and the Word of God is all a part of what it means to worship. And Christmas carols are a part of what it means to worship. I know for some of you, you're like, please, there's an end in sight, I promise you. Not every radio station, not every department store. Give it to Tuesday and it'll all fade away in a matter of minutes. And I know that if you're probably in this room today, you wonder, you know, when can it end earlier or whatever. But here's, here's, here's a study that was done by Mayo Clinic. So this is legit, okay? Legit. And if you need this study in your arsenal, in your toolbox, to be able to argue for why Christmas carols are good for you, then you just email me. I'll send you the link to the article because you may be married to a Scrooge uh, who doesn't like Christmas carols and you're like right now ready to run and hide or from them. or So, so this is an article for you because it literally says in this article that listening uh, or singing music can be emotionally and behavioral benefits to it. Okay, so that's the Mayo Clinic did that. But for those in this room who work in retail, who started in October, uh, or maybe your family has already started in October, listening to Christmas music, I have a study for you. Because uh, according to British psychologist Linda Blair, that it can be mentally harmful for you. So I don't know what argument you need to uh, you need to pose. If you've been listening to Christmas music and you got workplace violence going on in your head, or you're you're thinking about uh, about your spouse that uh, that you would uh, you know got kind of angst and uh, issues with the, all the music. I've got an, uh, I've got a, a study for you as well. This is what she said. There's two primary reasons that that. Christmas carols become uh, dangerous for your health, mental health, is that one is it frustrates you because you haven't got everything done. And you know you're supposed to be joyous and the song's telling you you're supposed to be joyous, but yet you're rushing around and all the madness of everything. So that creates a dichotomy, an unhealthy dichotomy, and that you're simply spending all of your energy trying not to hear what you're hearing. Literally, you're trying to tune it out and that's burning up energy. So that's why it's negative to your health. For what it's worth, it's going away in three days and we'll be back to normal um, Kanye West or something like that, whatever your jam is. We have been talking uh, in uh, the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke uh, about the Christmas stories. We've been looking at the same one Christmas story, but from different angles. Think about it like this. If you were at a four-way stop and you saw an accident, God forbid, happen in the middle of that intersection, the person on the northeast corner, the person on the southwest corner would have two totally different perspectives, but they would have, have seen the same accident. Well, so in essence, what we're doing is we're looking at five, because we're looking at, going to be looking at five, five different angles of the same story. Now, the cool thing is, is that we have complete diversity. We have men and we have women, we have young and we have old and we have rich and we have poor and we have educated, we have uneducated, we have felons maybe, and we have people who are law-abiding citizens. We've got the whole gamut. The thing is, is that there's also a very common denominator between all of these stories. You'll see it even up to Christmas Eve night when we'll talk about number five. And that is that there is wonder in every one of those stories. There is an incredible sense of wonder that overtakes them 
in their, in their, in their gospel or in this message of, of Christmas that overtakes them and creates a worship experience and expression. It's both an experience and an expression. So just think about it like that. That's pretty cool that we're having all these different angles, all these different ages, all this diversity, but one common denominator. And we looked at them. And so go back. And these are messages that we've already talked about, but you can go back and listen to them. Joseph, for example, very first week, we talked about Joseph and how he experienced wonder in such a way that he was going in this direction and he does a 180 and starts going in this direction, all because he experienced the wonder of the Christmas story. Think about it like that. So also number two, Mary. We talked about Mary and how she literally shaped her worship experience. She learned to use her life and she used her lips. She wrote the very first Christmas carol ever to be written was written by the mother of Jesus. So whenever you look at this, you see this holistic expression and experience of worship in the heart and the life of Mary. But number three, we talked about shepherds last week. This is one end of the spectrum over here. We're going to talk about the other end of the spectrum today. But you're talking about the shepherd boys, these guys on the side of the hills. They experienced the fullness of God. They're the only ones that experienced a multitude of angels. All right. Up until now, Joseph, Mary, shepherd boys have all experienced an angel, angelic encounter. But the shepherd boys got the multitude. They got the fire hydrant experience of angels. Now, here's the thing. Even though we've talked about angels and shepherds and all these different things, notice the angels. They're never the main character in the story. When people talk about angels today, they make it about angels. They nearly worship the angelic. The angels are always in every situation that there is an angel. He's pointing them to Jesus. Any angel that doesn't point you to Jesus is a false angel, is a demonic angel, and run as far as you can from it. Because that is, again, I don't even have time to develop develop angelology in this, but just think about it like that. Every time you see the angels, they're pointing people to Jesus. They're worshiping Jesus. These shepherd dudes, they experienced something on that night when they experienced the fullness of God that can be summed up in one word, glory. We pointed that out last week. We saw glory, 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 glorified. It was all throughout the passage. And so if you talk about glory and you understand the definition of that word, it literally means the density. It's not air. It's not empty air. It's not some nice pretty outside. It is from inside and out. It is the height, the width, the depth, the density of it. What is it? The glory. That is what it is. And when we understand glory and and we are, our lives are filled with the glory of God and we understand the glory of God, then it leads us to be filled with wonder. Wonder fuels worship. Worship will lead you and I to giving God with joyful, glad hearts our very first and our very best. This is more a series about worship than it is about Christmas. But when you come to Christmas, it should re-energize the glory, the wonder. It should re-energize our worship. It should re-energize us being willing and able to give God our first and our best with joy-filled hearts. It's like the old hymn I sang growing up uh, all the time in my growing up years. It was not a hymn that was sang at Christmas time, but it was a hymn sang every other time of the year. Heaven came down, and what happened? Glory filled my soul. 
When God came down, that ought to be a Christmas hymn because that's really what happened. Jesus came down, heaven came down, and what happened? Glory filled my soul. Glory, the glory, the presence, the fullness, the density, the mass of Jesus becomes ours, becomes a part of our story. Heaven comes down and glory fills our, our soul. The problem is, and I know this, is whenever there's a wonder leak that happens in us, whenever we no longer enjoy our worship, Whenever it's kind of we have to debate about whether or not we're going to give or we're going to serve. It becomes a drudgery, a burden, uh, an exhausting ask on the church that we literally would just like to walk away from. I'm doing my deed by showing up on Sunday. When we start having that, we have literally experienced a wonder leak and we don't even know it. Whenever the glory is filling our soul, heaven comes down and glory fills our soul. It will lead us to worship. It will lead us uh, wonder to worship and, and, and so on and so forth. I think you, you get where I'm going with this, that we don't want to experience the wonder leak, but it happens. We've talked about, again, all of the stories and some of these you would have guessed. We've talked about Joseph. We've talked about Mary. We've talked about the angels and the shepherds. And we've talked about so many different people. Today, we talk about the wise guys. But there's another, I'm going to give you a teaser for, 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 for Tuesday night when we have our, our gathering. On Tuesday night, uh, by the way, is whenever we're going to worship together and it's going to be our Christmas Eve gathering. And I failed to mention this before, but next Sunday we will not be gathering here, okay? We'll be, we'll be all worshiping at home in our PJs wherever we are. And we have, we have at-home worship guides. You can go to our app. You can get to there. And then we're kicking off the new year. We're kicking off the new year with Clarity Series. Really trying to understand on January 5th, we're really understanding the, the why behind our life. Uh, why? why? Start, start with the why. What, what is your why? Not the what. What do you do? Not when. What, when do you do it? Not, not how. How do you do it? But if we don't start with the why, then we mess it all up. And so what greater theme to go into 2020s and to try to have a 2020 vision for clarity on our life? That's coming up. But on Sunday, on Tuesday night, we'll be gathering back here and we're going to talk about Character number five. Now, here's a challenge for you. I gave it to the last gathering, and I had about five, maybe, people who could guess the right answer. So this is not like everyone's going to get a trophy with this. That happens at school, okay? If you don't get it right, you don't get the, you don't get the trophy. The trophy is an adult-sized candy cane. We're not going to do this kid stuff around here, all right? Adult-sized candy cane. you got to answer this question. Here's the question. Who am I talking about on Tuesday night? that deals with wonder in the story of the Christmas narrative that's mentioned there. I'll give you a hint. It's a singular person. All right. No, no, don't answer that. Don't answer that. I heard an answer already. All right. So uh, um, uh, you, you, you come up to me at the end. Otherwise, Tuesday night, be back here and figure it out. Then candy canes for all those who have the right answers. Let's go to our Bibles today. Uh, Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, we've been jumping back and forth between chapter 1 and chapter 2. We're going to talk about these wise guys uh, that, that travel. Listen to this. These guys were serious about what they were about. They were so filled with wonder that these high and mighty, these educated, this, th- these pursuers of life and these highly intelligent individuals, and when you understand these wise men as we call them in the scriptures, as magi as they're otherwise known. When you understand that they walked from Persia, from, from 800 miles, maybe by, by camel, or we'll call it that, or, but they made their way across lands like 
Iran or Iraq, modern day, or Syria or Jordan, and they made their way to a little bitty town called Bethlehem to see a baby. It's a kind of a bizarre thing whenever you think about what happens and how, how that happens. But what we see is this diverse group of people. We saw last week, we saw that the, the shepherd boys on the side of the hill, the lowest end of a, the socioeconomic spectrum, if you will. And now we're going to go clearly to the other end of the spectrum. But here's what I want you to see. No matter where you are, if you're on this end of the spectrum, I'll let you classify yourself. I'm not classifying anybody. If you're here or you're here, if you're here and you think, man, I tell you what, I, 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 I don't know that I can even qualify to be a follower of Jesus. I got so much a baggage in my life. I got so much of a rap sheet on my life. I don't qualify. That's the shepherds. Or you might be the, the wise guys, the intelligent, the educated, the, the, the movers and the shakers as these wise men, magi from the East are. They were the professors in the colleges. They were the, the leaders in the, uh, uh, that led the, the kings and the princes of, uh, of, the, of the East. These people were probably so educated they didn't need God. Whether you feel like I don't deserve God or I don't need God, here's the beauty of the Christmas story is it shows us that everybody, everybody, everybody needs a Savior. And it also shows us that anybody and everyone can be a follower of Christ. Let's look at this story, and you'll, you'll, it'll unpack itself a little bit. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, follow along. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, we don't know how far along he was or how, was he, was he three months? Was he four months? Was he, was he a couple of years? Some people believe it was a couple of years because of what Herod will do. He'll issue a decree to kill every baby below the age of two. So some suspect that maybe it was a two year period. Maybe he was still in those, in those two years. So anyway, in, in Bethlehem, in Judea, in uh, the Herod the king, behold, a wise men, wise men from the east come to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star. They knew a stars. They were astronomers. They called it his star. When it rose and, 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 and have come to worship him. And when Herod, the king, heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him and assembling the chief priests and the scribes and the people and inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem, again, this is the scribes and the priests. They get together. Herod's consulting. He's using their spiritual advisors, if you will. He's saying, hey, where's this Messiah supposed to be born? They literally open up their scrolls to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. They said, here's where it says it. Right here, Herod. It says, and, and, you, uh, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come the ruler who will shepherd all my people, Israel. So this is something that the scribes, the priests, they understood exactly where he was, where he's coming from. And they said, he's coming from Bethlehem. And then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and, uh, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. Notice that he sends them He doesn't go himself. Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, 
bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening, that's going to all come into pivotal play here in a moment. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star uh, that had seen rose, went before them until it came uh, to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Circle the words great joy. We'll come back to that in a moment. And going into the house, they saw the child and Mary and mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. Then opening the treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. What we see in this passage, when you compare it to last week to this week, I want you to hear these two words, everyone and anyone. Everyone, whether you're a shepherd down and out with a rap sheet and you feel unworthy to even call the name of God, call the name of Jesus. You feel incapable and unworthy and God is no way going to accept my prayers because I got 10,000 reasons why not. Or you're a, you're a wise person. You're an educator. You're a magi. You're one of the most elite of the elites. And you're over here and you think, I have no need for God. Everyone and anyone is your two words. Everyone needs a Savior. And Jesus can and is able to save anyone. There's nobody beyond the grace of God. And there's nobody beyond needing the grace of God. Whether you are a shepherd or you are a wise guy, it does not matter. We all need it. Now, here's what we see. We've seen all these responses of wonder. Look, what, what happens to the wise men? The wise men wonder. And when they wonder, it flips the script on conventional living. Everything that was predictable and the way things were working gets flipped. Here are these magi from the east and they've got things figured out. They're astronomers. They're, they're very educated. They're, they're, they're elite people themselves. And now what are they doing? They are going out of their way. They're going down to the city of Bethlehem. They're going into a stable. They're going into a forbidden, dirty place and they're worshiping a king. It flips the script on everything conventional. Let's flip the script. When we encounter the glory, the wonder of God, it will flip our script. Here's what we'll do. Number one, passivity will be turned to pursuit. No longer will I sit there passively waiting for God because that's the conventional way is I'm waiting for God. God's going to speak one of these days. I don't know. God will prove himself to me. And we kind of just wait for God. And then there's a difference between waiting on God and waiting for God. When you're waiting for God, it's kind of like you're saying, God, prove yourself. God, do this and I will follow you. God, give me that and I will, God, God, you, get, you made me sick or you made this person sick or you took that person's life from me or you, you took this and, I, and I'm just waiting for you to fix it because until you fix it, God, I'm not following you. That's conventional thought. Unconventional thought is I'm going with Jesus. I'm going to Jesus. He came to me, I'm going to him. And that's exactly what we need to understand whenever we think about heaven coming down and glory filling our soul is that heaven came down. He came to Jerusalem. He came to us. He took the first step. Whenever you think about these magi, who are they? What are these wise guys? Herodotus, who is the oldest historian 
that we have in, in, in any of history. He was a Greek historian who literally wrote about the tribe of the Midians and about the very educated Midian or the Magi. And he wrote about them as being different things of philosophers and, 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 and doctors and natural scientists. They were at least astrologists. The stars fascinated them. They were caught up in the stars, and whenever this unique star appears, they start following it. And it's going in directions that most other stars don't go. They're following it. They're being awed. They're being drawn in. They're in wonder of it. And as you think about these, these wise guys, who, how many are there? How, what were they doing? What, were their, what was their roles? Well, there's a lot of legends that have emerged over time. Uh, we Three Kings of Orient are. You've heard that hymn. It's an absolutely incorrect theologically hymn, okay? The, the, whether there was 12, which some people believe that there were 12 magi, or there were not even kings. They weren't kings. There's nowhere in Scripture it says that they were kings. They were wise men. And, and whether there were 12 or, or, or 14 or 34, there was probably a whole entourage that went with them. And they, they pull up into Jerusalem, stand in front of Herod, and Herod immediately invites them in. These people were movers and shakers to gain access to such. But notice this. In a state, in a spirit of humility, they are coming to this king. And they are looking for this king. In this beautiful way, look at verse, verse uh, 1 of chapter 2. It says, And after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Circle the words, came to. They came to. They looked for. They went out of their ways. They went 800 miles. 800 miles. Hang on to that. 800 miles. Who does the seeking? I think it's, I've heard this debated in seminaries for years. Is God coming to us? Are we coming to God? Who who does what? Let me say it like this. God initiates, but we respond. God's the initiator, but we respond. We, we, We respond to his initiation. You did not choose me, but I chose you. It says in John chapter 15, verse 16. But we respond when we come and get out of our seats, get out of passivity, and we start seeking him. It says in Romans ten thirteen that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, you've got to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. If you seek me and you seek me with your whole heart, it says in Jeremiah 29, then you'll find me. If you don't seek me with your whole heart, don't expect to find him. Again, passivity is gone. Activity is in. Pursuit is in. Come near to me, come near to God, and he will come near to you. If you sit back and you wait for God, guess what? You will be setting back for the rest of your life. I encourage you to step out and to look out and to move out. And whatever that means, start looking for where God is and join him. I love it when I would get to meet people in the gallery from time to time and people come up to me. And just even in the last gathering, somebody came in, hadn't been in church in years. And they come up and they introduce themselves. We're just here trying it out. We gave up on church a long time ago. People who come and are, are trying to, in this time of year, trying to figure things out, trying to figure out this Jesus gig. 
And I, I love it when I get to meet him. And I say, listen, listen, from the beginning, our church was found on the vision that we are an authentic church for those who've given up on the church but haven't given up on God. So if you're here today and you've been hurt by the church, bruised by the church, angered by the church, whatever, safe place, come, experience, walk into his presence because here's what I know, everyone needs a savior and Jesus can and will save anyone, but it's him and it's only him. Acts 4.12, I want you to read this verse out loud with me. And there is salvation in no one else. Read it with me. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I'm sorry, it's so narrow-minded. I'm sorry, it's so narrow-focused. But here's the Christmas story. It's not that the gods of the universe came to us. It is the God of the universe came to us. It is God with us. It is Emmanuel. It is Jesus who is the Savior in him alone. Don't be passive and wait for the winds to blow you from one God to the next. Be pursuant of Jesus. Number two, it moves the flips the script from accidental living to intentional living. The conventional living says this, I'm going to just wait for a spiritual encounter to hit me. <laughs> one of these days, I'm going to be broadsided by a spiritual encounter. That's a dangerous way to live. Don't, don't do that. I've heard people say this, ah, I don't like that church because I, I'm not feeling it there anymore. The, the, the danger of that is, is the, the feeling may not be the church. It may be what's going on in your own heart. So conventional wisdom will tell you, conventional way will tell you, spiritual encounters will just hit you one day. Here, seek Jesus. This is the unconventional. Seek Jesus with fervent intentionality. Lean in on Jesus. Study and explore and, and dive behind it. That's exactly what these very educated, affluent movers and shakers did. Look at verse 2. As they're marching on, they're, they make their way to Jerusalem. It says, saying, where is, now I'm talking to Herod here, where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star, not just any star, Many people tried to figure out whether there's not another star out there. It was his star. It was a unique star. I believe it was the Shekinah glory of God that was leading them. That's why you're going to see it moving north and south and east and west all, all over the, the page. These astronomers were watching his star. It was a unique star, his star. And we, are, uh, for we saw his star. And notice this, it rose and had come to worship him. They had an intent and their intent was to worship God. Now, I, here's, here's the thing. You come to the Christmas story, all kinds of responses, right? You could probably sum them up in three responses, all right? I don't know what your response is to the Christmas story. I don't know where you're setting today or whatever. I want to hit all these real quickly because you see all three of them. You see a response from the Magi. You see a response from, from, from Herod. And you see a response... From the priest. Real quickly, celebrate. Now that's the one that I, I'm going to key in on at the end. So that's going to be the last one. We're going to talk about that because we're going to talk about the Magi and how they really celebrate. But I want you to notice the, the second one where they contest. They want to fight against Jesus. There's a lot of that going on in our culture today. I can remember a sick feeling walking out of our kids' 
performance from their Christmas program at school one day, public schools that they attended, and walking out one day and just feeling sick at my stomach because they had everything in their Christmas program, everything but Jesus. They had Frosty and they had Santa and they had the spirit of Christmas and they had generosity and they had everything but Jesus. I remember what a tragedy. And what has happened in our culture is even the holiday that he birthed with his birth, we can't even celebrate him. There's a tragedy in that. Well, notice what Herod's response is. Now, you got to realize Herod. Herod was a politically correct kind of person. He was the one who rebuilt the, the temple for the Jewish people. He knew how to win them over. He was the one who gave them a tax break when times were famine. So he knew how to will them in. But he was a man who was crazy on the other side. He was a man who literally kills his mother and his bride and his three sons for fear of jealousy of them taking over the throne. He was a a madman and a successful man, all rolled up into one. And you see Herod sitting there, and what does he do when he hears that the sun is coming? Oh, by the way, this is what uh, Caesar Augustus said about, about Herod, that it was safer to be Herod's pig than Herod's sons. That's how everyone saw him in the land. But here he is in verse three. Notice what it says here. And so uh, it says, and when Herod, the king heard this, he was troubled. Was he excited? Was he full of wonder? No, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And what he does is he, he, he starts trying to figure out, he has to start backtracking. And it's because of him, and I don't have time to read it all, but because of him, the, if you remember, the wise guys, they, can't, they don't go back to Herod. They go back home another way. And it was because of that that Herod issued a decree that all the babies under two would be killed. They're trying to kill him. And so he, you, you, you see that, that, that Herod was a madman in his own right. But this, that's the first response, the contesting response. Then there's the complacent response. This is the most dangerous. And this may be some of in this room. The complacent response is where basically you have all the Christmas story in your head, but there's nothing happening in your heart. The, the, the priest and the scribes were asked, where is this Messiah? Where is this king supposed to be born? They open up their scrolls and they immediately quote from Micah. We just read it earlier. I won't go back and reread it. They said, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. You know how far Bethlehem is from Jerusalem? Six miles. How far did the Magi travel? 800 miles. There's no mention whatsoever in all the four gospels that one priest even stood up and made a six-mile trek to find Jesus. They were complacent. They were just complacent. But the Magi were wanting to celebrate. And that's where we got to see. And what happens is they they step into the story and they're going to go and they're going to find him. And after listening to the king, they went away. And behold, the star, that one unique star, that had seen rose went went before them until it came to the rest over, over the place where the child was. And they saw the star and they rejoiced. There's wonder in them. They're exceedingly rejoicing and with great joy. This is beautiful. I got so excited this past week, I could, I could barely contain it. That word great joy, that phrase great joy, 
Do you remember anything last week about the angels saying anything to the shepherds? Last week in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, jot it down. It is almost an exact response. In fact, it is the exact words that Luke uses to describe the shepherds having a message of great joy. It's the same word, the same words that are used describing the magi and the great joy that they had in in Matthew chapter 2, verse 10. Why do I point this out? Back to what I said in the beginning. It doesn't matter if you're a shepherd down and out. It doesn't matter if you're a wise man and an up-and-comer. Whenever you encounter Jesus, you encounter great joy. The same phrase, the same words, the same experience of when you encounter Jesus, you encounter. It doesn't matter if I'm a Walton or I'm a McDaniel. It doesn't matter if you're an educated or an uneducated. It does not matter. When you encounter Jesus, there is great joy. When you celebrate Jesus, there is great joy. Number three, he flips the script because consumerism becomes generosity. Consumerism becomes... This is a message of our day, right? This is what this whole season's about, is consumerism. We buy for ourselves. We buy for each other. We talk about the gifts. We give our gifts list out. We, we do all of that, and I'm okay with that, but man, we've got to balance some things out. We've got to flip the script back. Conventional says, what's in it for me? How many gifts are under the tree for me? Did we buy enough gifts for everyone? Is everyone going to be happy with what they got? What's in it for me? That's conventional Christmas. Flip the script. Unconventional says this, I'm in it for him. The focus goes off of me onto him. It's his birthday anyway. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's not about the kids being happy. It's not about us getting everything we want. Notice what happens to these shepherds when they make 800-mile track, when they talk to the king, when they find the Jesus and they follow the star, what do they do? What happens to them? In verse 11, they're full of great joy. Verse 10, and going into the house, they saw the child, Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. I love that phrase. Exactly what happened to them is they go from being about themselves, all the education, all the knowledge, all the influence that they have, to now we are going to worship him. They are taken over by him. And what do they do? Very next words, read it with me. Then opening, their, read it with me. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They opened their treasures. Because here's something that Jesus points out, and here's something the Magi point out, that there is a direct connection to glory, to wonder, to worship, and to giving God our first and our best. Whenever we are full of glory, full of wonder, full of great joy, that we are willing to open our treasures. That's why Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart is. See, the life principle for all of us every day of our lives is our offerings tell God what we feel about him. Our offerings tell God what we believe about him. What does our checkbook say about our relationship with God? What does our offerings say? This is a very real thing here. When you look at this, these guys, they bowed down, they worshiped, and when they worshiped, they opened their treasures. 
Now, you could tell it's a bunch of dudes buying the gifts because it's the most impractical gifts you can give a baby, right? No diapers, no bottles, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What the heck? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What, what, what is, what's that all about? They all represent something. Gold represents the royalty of Jesus. Literally, you don't go into the presence of a Jesus I read this past week, in the presence of a king, without a gift of gold, however big or small it may be. That's the way the traditions of the land. Frankincense spoke of the deity of Christ. In Leviticus chapter 2, verse 20, whenever, whenever they would worship, they would literally burn frankincense. It was a part of the worship of the deity. It spoke of the deity of Christ. The myrrh, that's an embalming flood. What a gift to give a baby, right? How practical is that? Spoke of the death of Jesus. Every one of those was an act of worship to save what was in my heart, what I believe about you, what I feel about you, God. I'm, I'm giving to you because I believe in you. I don't have a problem, and I know it makes some people uncomfortable. Oh, please, please, please. I'm not asking you. I'm not, I'm not even begging you. No, 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 not that at all. I am saying from my own personal experience, from what I read in the Word of God, what I see practiced in other people's lives, I see no greater joy than whenever I learn the blessing of giving generously in worship of an offering to God. Why, why we have these stockings all across the stage? Why do I keep talking about them week after week? Just giving you an opportunity as a family to express what you feel and what you think about God. In fact, Lori and I are praying right now, and just so you know, and this is just where we're at, um, we, she no longer has her job that was a, a significant uh, a loss to our income. She went on her own, on her own terms, everything. Um, but it made a difference in our income. But I'm literally praying right now, God, we make less, far less than we made a year ago. But I feel like right now, God is asking us to give like we've never given before. That's just us. I don't know where you're at. We're going to have our little stocking and we're going to pray about it and we're going to bring our offering and we're going to give it on Christmas Eve. Where does it go? Where does it go? Just so you know. One third of it will help in our everyday week to be, week, 365 day ministry that we do right here at home. We are helping right now so many families that are struggling in their marriage that we've already spent an entire year worth of, uh, of our budget on helping marriages survive and thrive. That's, that's how much the reality of that is. Um, we're, we're a, th- a third of that will go to help a bus, buy a bus in, uh, in, uh, in Zambia, in an orphanage that, 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 we, that we support. A third of that will go right back to our people. Somewhere around 58, I think, offerings, uh, uh, excuse me, scholarships were given out last year. This year, Caleb has a vision before stepping into sabbatical, great vision for our church that we would send out 125 people this year from our church. 58 to 125. I can't even do the percentage on that. That's the vision. If we were to fund and we were to staff and we were to fill every one of those volunteer positions, it would 
it w- in scholarships that we give to our members, it would be over $100,000 in scholarships to our members alone to go to places to work among people far from God. And I just want you to see, it's big and it's awesome that we get to be a part of this, but I want to just show you one picture, just one of the 58 that we gave out this past year of Rachel. Rachel, um, she's the little white girl in the middle, if you hadn't figured that out. Um, Rachel's not here today. I have her on the stage because she was on the stage last week because she's in Greece right now working with Syrian refugees. This is her gap year. She decided not to go to college right out of school. She's got to spend a gap year. And so she's living on mission as much as she can, wherever she can. So she spent three months in Cambodia and Thailand. And now she's in Greece. But in Cambodia and Thailand. And this picture was on her Instagram story. And I I was intrigued by it as I I followed her and watched her. And I asked her, I said, tell me about this story. I said, these little kids. I said, what what are you doing with them? And it's incredible because... These kids were getting ready to go back to their homes to be with their families for a religious holiday where they would spend time praying to their dead ancestors. Not praying to Jesus, praying to their dead ancestors. But these these young six little girls had heard the gospel, received the gospel, and were being challenged to go back home to their families and to pray with them about Jesus instead of their ancestors. Now, it gets cooler than that. That's pretty cool. And you should have gone, oh, that's awesome. Um, when I asked her about this photo, she said, I'm commissioning them to go live sent. A little girl, Rachel, grows up in our church, in our student ministry, is seen commissioning after commissioning, has heard Sunday after Sunday to go live sent. Now she is going and living sent in Cambodia and Thailand. And what is she doing? Is she's training up six little girls to go back to their village to live sent. That happened in part because our members were faithful to give to help her to go. Do you see the connection? Do you see how you can be a part and how your offerings can be a part of taking his name to the ends of the earth? Give the Lord a hand for that, please. Make the connection. God forbid that we be the complacent priests and scribes who Jesus is six miles away and we won't go to him. We won't make him a priority when there will be people 800 miles away who will cross land and desert to come to the foot of a manger and open up their hearts and open up their treasures and say, it's yours, God. May that be us caught up in the wonder of Jesus. Father God, Break our hearts where we are complacent. Ignite, fill, rejuvenate, stir up, move in us like never before, God. We can't just go on going through the worship motions. God, that the glory of heaven 
would come down and fill our souls and it would fill us to the point that we are in wonder of you, that it would fuel our worship to you, that God giving a song, giving a clap, giving a, a, an offering, giving a prayer becomes our first and our best, giving him the first day of the week, the first thought in every decision, the first dime out of every dollar, the first... The first moment in every day, God, we're going to give you our first and our best of an act of worship to you. God, where we are contesting you, being king in our life, break us. But God, may we all come together and worship you in all your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Stand together and worship with us, please.